Yo, can we sit for a second? My feet are tired as fuck. Yeah, sorry. Here's some water, and it looks like the snack van is right up ahead. The scene looks a little sketch, but yeah, come on. Let's sit by these medics. I think we're good here. Come on, come on. All right, thanks. Man, I'm just tired of not seeing more fans here. Like, seriously, where the fuck are our so-called people? I know. I mean, I saw a kid with one, like, donut mask. When when they tear-gassed us, he threw one of the canisters back, but then a cop hit him in the head, and I think he left. But that was the only one I saw. Like, what happened? I mean, music and music festivals have historically been places where art and activism collide. Listen, look at the festivals of the 60s and 70s. They had this concept of artivism before that was even a word. But that's because they knew the revolution was a culture. This is true because, you know, the climate of political engagement in the 60s influenced a whole generation of artists and made them activists. So from Woodstock to the concert for Bangladesh and every tiny show collecting cans of food for food banks, giving back has been part of the DNA of the scene that we have been dissecting on this show. That's just the gatherings. We can also talk a whole lot about the music. I mean, some of the greatest music ever written was protest music from Billie Holiday's Strange Fruit to Nina Simone's Mississippi Goddamn from Sam Cooke's Chain Gang to Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. I, you know, speaking of Bruce, there's a great quote from him. I think it's from like 2004 or something about this subject. And he said, quote, artists write and sing and think And this is how we get to put our two cents in. And we do it right in front of people, not in secret meetings behind closed doors. We let people know what we think. I don't know if people go to musicians for their politics. I doubt that they do, you know, but you can rally people to think on serious issues together. And that's what we're trying to do. A, I love the fact that you always want to have a heart-to-heart in the middle of, like, the worst time possible. But, you know, you are right. I mean, the same thing with the birth of fish. You have the move bombing, the imprisonments of Leonard Peltier, Mamiya's locked up, the L.A. riots, the birth of the queer movement in a way that really shifted the gay, lesbian, straight, not straight narrative that was led by black trans women in the first place. I mean, why do you think it's so hard for folks to see the connection? I mean, we do. We see how the revolution and rock and roll go together. It's pretty fucking easy. But around a lot of white fans, to keep it real, I feel more like a fluke than the family that I'm supposed to be when I'm on lot. And it's a, it's a constant game of proving that I actually belong in the place. That entire premise is based on the pranksters' mottos, one and two. You're either on the bus or you aren't. In other terms, you're either with the movement or you aren't. And do, and do your own thing. Right. Let people be their full, beautiful selves and not like disunified or in battle with one another. But like whatever your unique thing is, like bring it to the scene and dance, dance away the hatred of Babylon, the U.S., death, war, racism, capitalism, cis hetero patriarchy. It's like, what do these kids even think free love meant anymore, Leslie? 
It's like, do these motherfuckers even know that Richard Pryor was on the hate and that's where he invented black comedy and the power analysis that's the public rhetoric that I like to use every goddamn... Yo, 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 calm down, calm down, calm down. And oh, shit. Look. Oh, fuck. Yo, 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 we gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, grab your tear gas mask. Yo, yo, let's get back to your van so we can make it to Dick's on time. It's only like one day away. Welcome to Blackberry Jam, supported by Ben and Jerry's, where I, Leslie Mack, and I, Lenny Duncan, pull back the curtain on how jam band culture and black liberation work intersect. Yo, know, each episode we explore stories of black fans and envision a jam band community with liberation, love, and fish tickets by mail for all, baby. Today's episode's all about the counterculture that created the scene we love. And the political and economic and cultural and historical factors that were the muses for the art and the jams and even the clothing we still wear. Some of the clothing you wear is meant to be used in protests and shows. You don't even know it, but whatever. Anti-racism work and lifestyle can be tense. And, you know, it, to move the needle forward in any community that you love, we believe it must be reminded of its revolutionary roots. And like, you know, straight up, Leslie, those roots are dripped in the dreams of further and Neil Cassidy and pulling up and dragging you off into Never Neverland. But those day glow realities were created to help a youth that were rocked by a savage war in Vietnam so-called riots that were really uprisings in black communities across the country, and the assassination of every bearer of hope that generation dared to believe in. From Malcolm declaring the chickens have come home to roost and what the deep loss of JFK was for the American psyche, and then Malcolm's own death as a judgment on that same system. It's difficult not to highlight the direct historical, sociological, intersectional connections that run from 610 Ashbury straight to the Black Panthers headquarters in Oakland, California, up until the point that Jerry threw all the bail parties for Huey P. Newton. You're like, well, I'm a deadhead and I don't want to get into politics. It's like Jerry threw bail parties for the Panthers, man. Get it together. But Leslie, first... As always, we need to turn to your expertise, your wisdom, your lovely, silky voice, and your presence that I can't wait till fans get to see your face and your energy and just get to know you and not touch your hair or attempt to hug you without consent. Don't do it. Don't do that shit. I watched the recently released Hulu documentary directed by Questlove from The Roots, Summer of Soul, about the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival. Have you watched it yet? No, I'm taking a bunch of people to do it. You know, as a Philly boy, anything with the roots, like I got to make an event of it. I haven't picked out an outfit. I'm waiting for my sneaks. They're on back order. I swear to God, I got some new Fresh Princes coming in. Like I'm going there fucking killing it. Love it. Well, this radical, beautiful, black as fuck summer long celebration of black music and black power is such a testament to how black people and black music responded to and reflected their times. So coverage of that festival is what moved the New York Times to stop using the word Negro and start using black in its style guide. This is the kind of serious cultural impact that this festival had. Black was not the term that was used no. for us. 
No. And of course, it was a black woman writer who insisted on it. But we can talk about that in another show as well. But one of the things that really struck me, aside from the amazing music, which it is great and it's a wonderful documentary, was the fact that while this was happening, it was the same summer as Woodstock and also the same uh, summer of the moon landing. Whitey's on the moon. That's right. Whitey's on Whitey's the moon. on the moon. Whitey's, if you don't, if you've never heard their song, Whitey's on the moon. Shout out to Gil Scott. That is everything you need to know. What, that's all you need to know about what I think about Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Or any of these people who are trying to abandon us to go to the Mars, except for the really smart ones, they're going to let you go up there and sweep for them and clean their fucking houses, you dummies. Don't get on that fucking ship. So the film has a whole section because during the festival, the, the moon landing actually occurred. So that has this whole section where they're asking black attendees in Harlem about what the moon landing means to them. And their responses, Lenny, all of them were basically gorgeous. I don't give a fuck about some white men on the moon. We need that money here for our communities and for our children. Sounds super duper familiar, doesn't it? Leslie, if you're trying to tell me that we've been making the same demands in a republic that supposedly granted us the rights and privileges of citizens since 1865, well... I would say that you are actually the race baiter. Well, guilty as charged, I guess, in that case. Um, another interesting little tidbit about the festival was that the NYPD refused to provide security for the festival over the summer. Of course. So guess who stepped in to do that Oh, uh, the Panthers. You know the they did. The of Islam. We did Because here's it. what happens. Here's what people, you know, I just want to give people a real flip side of what it was like to grow up in West Philly up until like, you know, I grew up there all the way up through the 80s and 90s. The police didn't care if a woman was sexually assaulted in our neighborhood. They cared if, like, they thought you were selling drugs, if they thought you were, like, hanging out too long, if they just wanted to bother you, if they thought you were up to something. But they didn't care about protecting our people. The reason we didn't have pimps and a lot of sexual assault people, like, in our neighborhood, and up until this day, you can Google this. I mean, people in Philadelphia, we take care of that. Well, like, the police have to get us away from them. You know what I'm saying? Like, we have to patrol our own neighborhoods because they abandon it and they only come in to enforce the rules of capitalism. They, they never come in to help us investigate, you know, none of that stuff. So this absolutely makes sense. You're making me more excited for the movie. Tell me fucking more about this. I don't want to spoil it. I really want everybody to watch it and, and really take it in. Also, just the fact that so little was known about it in the general public, even though when I say there was nobody that didn't perform there, Sly and the Family Stone, Gladys Knight, Stevie Wonder, Mavis Staple, there's nobody, The Fifth Dimension, everybody was there. It was so beautiful just to see so many Black people, all just the hair, the fashion, the community, the... The, the young people, the older people, it, it's just a really beautiful testament to what black community actually means. But, you know, as great as it was and as beautiful as it was to watch, I, I really was left sad. I was left sad at the end of it because the sad fact is that my work today is so similar to the work of my foremothers, right. Ida B. Wells and Fannie Lou Hamer and Diane. Oh, Nash. you mean the people who actually ran SLCC and SNCC and all the other organizations? And some of them being like queer folks, like I got to give a shout out as a queer black man to Bayard. Like, 
They like, arrested. Like, like, like there were so many people behind the scenes and mostly black women coming up with most of the platforms and men taking credit. And just the fact that I'm still doing the same work of my foremothers, it really breaks my heart on a daily, maybe hourly basis sometimes. We're still fighting to stop police from killing us with impunity. We're still fighting against, at best, an apathetic liberal political machine. And that brings me to the next part. If, if, if the best is the apathetic liberal political machine, the worst is a newly empowered white supremacist base of people hell-bent on holding on to power, even if it means burning this country to Absolutely. the ground. And so every week... I sit in meetings after which I hang my head and think there is no organizing around these forces working against us. No, I'm telling you, if I have to show up to one more school meeting about CRT, I'm going to fucking jump off a building. Look, the VRA, the Voting Rights Act has been gutted. We have over 500 bills in 45 states codifying voter suppression and making simple protests illegal. And here's the thing about Kavanaugh. What's the other evil monster's name? What was her name? I forget her name. Amy Coney Barrett. Yes, yes, that's her. Amy Coney, just like every other evil white woman I've ever met. So here's the thing that scared me about them. And that's this way, because they gutted the Voting Rights Act. I was at the... 2018 uh, ecumenical advocacy days where we went and spoke to senators and tried to get them to stop as people of faith. They, you know, they just laughed. They're like, yeah, 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 get the fuck out of here. So they got the voting rights act, but then they put on two senators. I mean, Amy made her fucking bones in law school disputing whether or not Brown versus the Board of Education was legal. That's what keeps segregation away. Everyone's like, well, she just wants she just wants religious schools. No, what she wants is to undo fucking integration. She wants Jim Crow back, you savage. Read her fucking papers. And the same thing with Kavanaugh. He'll vote for that shit in a second. He doesn't care because he'll say it's about religious freedom. And then you'll get a few others that'll follow. And then all of a sudden you'll find, well, part of my religious freedom is that I don't want to go to a school with BIPOC people or queer people or people who don't agree with my worldview. Absolutely. So this is the setting we find ourselves or I find myself as an organizer and an activist and a digital strategist with Voting Rights Act gutted. We have 500 bills in 45 states codifying voter suppression and making simple protests illegal. We have in the White House, the man who built the mass incarceration machine, the 94 Kind Bill. And oh, frankly, wait, wait, wait. You mean Biden's really a Dixiecrat who never lived in Delaware? Get the fuck out of here. And he's poised to pass the 2021 version of it while he is in office. It is coming, people. OK, so black people are in danger, real danger at the ballot box, in the streets, in our homes. And of course, in our staggeringly low bank accounts where we are predicted to collectively have zero, and I mean zero, net worth by the year 2053. Shit is fucked up is what I'm saying, Lenny. Yo, it's grim, it's bad, and it's an actual campaign that's organized. And, and this is what I always say to people who are organizers. I'm like, you know, I was saying this since 2016. I was like, your problem is, is that the worst of us have better ground game than us. They knock on doors. They send letters. They send emails. They follow up. They call people. They don't go to two, three marches, get stoned at a festival, and forget that on January 6th of 2021, the Republic died. 
the only American miracle, the only one we have, is the fact that a sitting general ceded power to a civilian government. It's never happened in world history, and it's never happened again, and that's up for grabs with everything else. It's like not only are we up against the wall, you guys are about to lose everything you have, and everyone's just like, fuck it. I mean, they, I got a vaccine. I'm definitely going camping now. And you're like, what the fuck? Oh, and by the way, get off the road, new travelers. I'm traveling for tour. Get the fuck out of the way <laughs> with your $100,000 apocalypse vehicle. Some of us are barely making it. Sorry. But yes, shit is fucked up. People ask me all the time about where my hope lies. I don't have a lot of it today. And I'm just being frank about it. Absolutely. But I do want to tell you because as... The other half of this podcast, I have been actively making sure that every member of the Grateful Dead was still well. If you're listening out there, listeners, I've checked on the last three weeks on Phil, Bobby, and Billy. Has anyone seen Mickey? Has anyone seen Mickey Hart? Paging, Paging Mickey, Mickey Hart. Hart. Why are you just waiting for Dead and Company, bro? We get it, but like, come on, man. I'm really glad 90s fake MTV Jerry's in a scandal. We'll talk about that maybe in an r- upcoming episode. Not a scandal, it's just that his new album sucks. That's the scandal to me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. You know I'm a Jamaican. We call it a scandal. I went to go see Bobby Weir and the Wolf Brothers down in Berkeley, kind of dating a little bit where we're at. But I went to the first three like jam band things I could get to. So I saw Phil Lesh. I went to go see Billy and the Kids at Red Rocks. Finally, as you know, I'm going through a divorce. So I've been having some, you know, super platonic dates. I'm no longer a pastor, so my dates don't have to be platonic. But you know what I'm saying? like Getting your feet wet. I get it. I'm getting my feet wet. It's this black woman. That, you know, for three years we've been friends, but like nothing ever happened. And, you know, so we go on this first date and I nail it. And we're standing outside the Greek, Greek Amphitheater in Berkeley, California, waiting for Bobby Weir to come on. I'm dressed like I'm always dressed, Leslie. I have I have a giant steal your face tattoo next to my fucking Marcus Garvey flag. (laughs) Right. I have a giant lightning bolt. Like, how much more do I have to signal I belong? You fuckers. So anyway, I'm sitting there. And we're, we're having a great time and this prankster guy comes up and, you know, he's the usual fucking prankster, fucking Bay Area, fucking, you know, oh, my first show was 64 Altamont. Like, all right, dude, eat a dick. I'm sorry. Like, I haven't been alive for 100 fucking years. You're fucking fossil. <laughs> right. I'm being very kind because he's an elder in the community and he's kind of trying to flirt with my, my homie, I think. I almost said their name. And I'm being kind. Right. And he goes through a whole thing. You know, he tries to talk to us about Keezy, tries to talk to us about Bear Osley, tries to talk to us about like song segments. You know, he's pulling out all the stops to pull if he's part of the scene. And I actually, he's annoying and he's certainly flirting with my date, but I love the ballsy fucking, I love pranksters. I happen to be one myself. (laughs) And I just was like, okay, Len, breathe. This guy's great. And as we stop the conversation and start to walk away. He says, How so long wait, was he talking to you? At least 15 minutes. Okay. He says to us, so are you guys selling tickets or what? Get the fuck out of here. 
15 fucking minutes, Leslie. Wow. 15. And, and, and this girl I brought, it's her first show. Her little sister, who's like a super organic farmer and like into healing and all the medicines up in Trinity has been trying to tell her how kind the scene is. And this woman is a teacher in Oakland, right? This is a woman doing the thing. Right. And her little baby sister has been saying, go try it out. You'll love it. This scene's wonderful. I take her on a date. It was a perfect date. You know, it ended with like a polite kiss. It was everything I love about dating black women. And here comes the microaggression. And this motherfucker, that's what he said. And so I said to him, I was like, why would we? I was like, and I, I didn't even react. I said, you were doing so well, dude. I was like, up until that minute, you almost gave this person who's their first show a really cool highlight into like who you were, what's happening now and the whole deal, man. And you just ruined it at the end. And like four kids who were sitting like, you know, I mean, like, like shakedown kids with their hoodies up and shit. They laughed. They laughed. Of course. Because they, they knew what happened. They were like, yo, why did he do that at the end? You know what it reminds me of? You know, that scene in, in um, Do the Right Thing where Martin Lawrence's character, his sneakers get scuffed. Yo. And they're like, he's like, I'm from Bensonhurst. And they all go, oh, it's like that. Yeah, it's like 100% like that. And I just felt so bad, man. Like, you know, for, I felt bad for dude. Because dude actually had some, like, real, like, deep scene stuff he was trying to relate to her. Yep. And he was trying to communicate love, and he didn't know how. That was the saddest part. The saddest part is this dude really was trying to tell two people in the scene, or two people that he thought didn't know about the scene, and one of them didn't, right, about the love in the scene. But his automatic assumption that we were just local black folks from like Oakland or Berkeley trying to make a buck off the scene and not No, people... no, it's beyond that. His assumption was that you didn't belong there. At all. That is really the crux of the violence of the moment is that even in his invitation in, he had to add in and also you don't belong here. That pissed me off, right? The even To be called a scalper is like the worst fucking thing ever and people do it to me all the time. But we're really fucked me up about the whole thing is is that like i'm only left with several choices leslie i could freak out on this old guy and be the fucking asshole right be the guy in the scene that everyone hates and all my friends over the years are like why does lenny freak out why doesn't lenny hang out with me anymore why doesn't lenny do this anymore and like i could probably tell you of a very specific incident that was like you probably didn't have the social awareness to know was incredibly fucking racist and like i didn't have the energy anymore to explain to you why in a safe manner and the only way i could fucking survive that socially was to walk away and probably not be your friend anymore yeah, because you're just there to have an experience. And here you are also having to have a job. The entire time. That you didn't sign up to do. Yo, so tell them where they can call, what they can do to share stories like this. We don't want just your negative stories. I have, and I've shared on this show several times, how this scene has saved my life. So I'm the homer on the show. Don't get me wrong. I'm just telling you about everyday shit that happens on Shakedown Street. Tell them where they can call with some of their experiences, Leslie. Just like Lenny shared his story of his recent successful first 
quote unquote date with the lovely woman. Bobby fucking crushed it. Family kids were everywhere. <laughs> I danced my ass off. I picked all the right cheeses, all the right fruits, the perfect spot to look at the bay before the show and was the only person who was actually fucking tailgating the fucking dead show. I Rock love and it. fucking roll. So yeah, so we want to hear from you. Your story's just like the one Lenny just told. Give us a call at 888-FAN-JAM. That's 888-P-H-A-N- J-A-M and leave us a message. Tell us your stories. Tell us anything about your experience that you think other people should hear because we know that people have not been listening to us for a long time. So give us your stories. We might play it here on the show. If you're like a black person this season who's listening to this show and you're like, I don't agree with your guys' premises about a couple of things. That's not been my experience on tour. You're welcome to call in too. We will play you and we will not give, we're going to give some commentary afterward, but we're not going to like drag you. We like to be wrong. I don't like to be wrong. That's not true. I like to be wrong. My life has been changed because my life is, because I'm wrong about a lot of shit. Anyway, that's our pitch. We'll see you in a second. We got to pay some bills. We got to do some stuff. We also have to like bathe ourselves in a giant vat of like uh, cookie dough ice cream that uh, we have in a tub here that sometimes I just rub all over my body. I wish you guys could all see this. So we'll be back in a second. Right, we're back, and where where was I? Yo, uh, you were about to like fucking ruin some fucking white person's day on their fucking way to like some show. They were like, they're like, oh, cool, new fish podcast from like these cool black people, and they're like, oh man, I hope they're talking about. Is this still Lawn Boy? No, that's no, not what we're talking. Sure about, isn't, motherfucker. My favorite thing, ruining white people's days. Anyways, um, we were talking about you know this historical context of counterculture. And black liberation, how it's shown up or not shown up in this scene that we both love so much. You know, what has always pissed me off about the fish scene is the complete disconnect with specific parts of what is happening in the world. Right. So it's not it's not a wholesale ignorance, but it's really specific. So like climate change. Fans will talk about that. They'll do on-site volunteer shifts to support keeping camping event sites clean. Obviously, the great work that the Water Real Foundation does. I mean, even the funky bitches and their white feminism TM work to address patriarchy at shows and beyond. And yet, when it comes to race and class, this community continues to be notoriously silent. And at times, I think it's because, like we know in the trailer for the show, that many times at these shows, we are the only black faces. There's the staff. There's the, the staff. Sta- yeah. The staff is there. Sure. But really, like, that's that's a fucking cop out. I mean, and it's not even a good one. Because if we think about fans for racial equality, shout out to them. Yo, shout out to free motherfucker. Yo, free Free, we love you. You're the fucking shit. We do, we do. And speaking of free, I want to give a big shout out and shameless plug because we have one of the co-founders and leaders of free, Malcolm Howard, coming on our show in just a couple weeks to have a great conversation with Lenny. And I'm super excited about that. So shout out to Malcolm and shout out to free. 
But it was born in 2017 after an incident at a show at the Gorge. An insular incident that happened to, quote, one of us is what created Free. So Oscar Grant and Mike Brown and Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, Sandra Bland, Maya Hall, India Kager, the list goes on, was not enough to move fish fans to take direct action against racist police violence. Tanks rolling down the streets of Ferguson didn't do it. Tear gas thrown at children in Baltimore didn't do it. Only when it seemingly infected their safe space was it time to act. And the hard thing is, like, when you say those names, like when you say Mike Brown, and Mike Brown forever. Forever. When you say Sandra Bland's name, when you say Eric's name, when you say India's name, when you say Maya's name, and all the other names you didn't say. Like, for me, those are names I, I want to see me in whatever paradise I, that comes after this for revolutionaries like me. And I want them to say fucking well done. Just like just like Reverend Seku says, like I want them to fucking say well, well done. done. Well done. Well done. You didn't let my fucking story just disappear. Well done. You you did something. Well done. Right? But instead, you're right. The only time we did see this was an incident in free. And like I can tell you as someone who serves as a vice president of the NAACP in fucking Southwest Washington, what Eastern Washington and Idaho is about. And that, and anyone who's been in the scene and has traveled and hopped trains or hitchhike or even just hopped in their car has noticed that there has been a hardcore band of white supremacists that have locked down that area for decades. And they're raising children and grandchildren in a way of life that at first will feel the effects, but soon you will. How I describe it is what they do to us in the daylight, they will do to you in the dark. Mm. The Gorge is a dangerous fucking place. I'm going there for a show. And like I brought all my camping shit. I'm buying a camper because I don't want to leave the Gorge once I pull in. And, and that's just not leaving the Gorge. You know, what happened to Homeboy, you know what I'm saying, at the Gorge, that's what happened to me. I think he was riding the rail. Yep. He was on the rail. Yo, I ride the rail with so many, like, shout out to Rose, shout out to Adam, shout out to other people who I love up there, you know, page side, rage side for fucking ever. And I got to tell you, I couldn't imagine those kids just standing by while a Nazi beat the shit out of me. And we, and we all have those friends, you know, <laughs> we have our crews we go to shows with and we know our one friends, like once we get in there, Tyler's gone. He'll see us later because he's going to ride the rail. That's it. We know that's what he's going to go do no matter what we're doing. That's where he's headed because those are his people and that's what he's going to go do. I think what I'm trying to articulate here, Leslie, is that I make the assumption that my, everyone's crew's like my crew and they're not. No. Do you know what I'm saying? They're not like my crew. I have to be more careful in these spaces. artist you're a writer you're creative I don't consider myself any of those things you know I have a lot of other titles but that's not my area and I know you know aces and places is, is one of my mantras in life right and so like what what is like a vision for art and community that can do for activists who have never even heard of fish before but thought 
it was cool to listen to two black people talk about this topic. I mean, as an artist and as a writer, everything that I've ever done has been to try and sneak in the same subversive thoughts that I got when I got a copy of Steal This Book. The first time I grabbed Be Here Now, the first time I picked up On the Road, the first time I picked up The Motorcycle Diaries, the first time I picked up The Electric Cooled Acid Test, the first time that I read Hunter S. Thompson, I realized what he was doing in the public sphere and playing with public rhetoric in such an amazing way and how psychedelic culture could like add that. That shit led me to the streets. You know, my first trip at a Jerry Garcia band led me to the WTO fucking uprisings. Like, And so for me as an artist... What does it mean when a place that so many artists are birthed from? I mean, like the reason we have Keller Williams is because he went to shows. The reason, I mean, Trey was into what? Megadeth? No, Metallica was his favorite band before his first Dead show. Things could have went really differently. And so it's very important in these places where so much art is birthed, where so much thought is birthed. How many times have you been sad and turned on Jack Straw? How many times? Have you felt broken and put on waste? How many times have you listened to a fucking sick fucking tweezer from your favorite show to get hype, to see something hard or emotional with the family or to go to work, right? You know what I mean? Like, how many times have you done that? So what does it mean when the people, and this is going to get real esoterical and spiritual as a writer, but... I'm channeling unknowingly for a long time, a lot of Toni Morrison. And I, and I just want to say, Tor's the last place where people believe magic is real. It's the last place where they believe miracles can happen. The last place where they believe something amazing in the American story is right around the corner. And if those people turn their back with their art, with their jewelry, with their vibes, with their showing up, with their dancing, if they're not involved in the struggle, then we're really lost. Mm. We're really lost. And we don't have a chance of seeing a dawn of a new day, of a cliff of a new tomorrow. We have no chance of seeing a concert at the edge of a new America. We have no chance of gathering like we feel like we've done so many times in changing this land. We have no chance of doing any of those things. And this was really... James Baldwin's point in the struggle for the artists. At the fall of great empires, you could only trust the report of poets. And by poets, he meant all artists. You can't trust the priests. That's why I'm no longer one. You can't trust the politicians. You can't trust the union bosses. You can't trust the media in a lot of ways, even though we're part of the fucking media, because no one wants to give you a full flesh story just about black people on torch taking 10 episodes. Do you think CNN wants to do that shit? My point is, something has shifted in this country, and none of us like it. We've all landed in different places. We've all supported different figures and different movements. But something has shifted in the soul, in the heart chakra of this land. And some of it's good, and some of it's bad. But we still have, as Trey said in in Lonely Trip, another world is within reach. It's within reach. And so that's why art is important. You can hear the shift in Sigma Oasis and and Lonely Trip. And I know that they have more to say, right, about what's been going on in the world because they're starting to step up to that, that place as the bards of this land. And it's tales of joy, adventure, and whoa, right? And so we as consumers 
of a particular kind of art that we know is interactive. We know that the band plays better when we're on point. Yep. We know that the music is better when we're on point. It's an exchange of energy. We know there's this energetic exchange. So what does it mean that Trey said Black Lives Matter finally on air? What does it mean that Ben and Jerry's is supporting a podcast like this, a stalwart in the community? What does it mean that these shifts are happening and how do we reflect it in our art, our culture, so we can pass on lessons to the next generation of kids and all these hot bands that are coming out. So 30 years from now, we're not repeating the same mistakes, just like we did in the 80s and the 90s on tour. And so all this stuff is incredibly important. When we talked about the best and the brightest being taken, that is a function of white supremacy. There's a reason why certain kids are busted. There's a reason why certain scenes are broken up. There's a reason why, you know, festivals like All Good moved from personal farms from people we knew and became corporate. All that shit is dangerous. And so as an artist, the most important thing we can do is bring the real struggles, the real pain, the real cries, and the real joy and the real lives of everyone to the forefront and the center of our art. And that's the gauntlet I throw down for fish, you know? That's the gauntlet I throw down for Phil. That's the gauntlet I throw down for Bobby. That's the gauntlet I throw down for any artist because that's the gauntlet I throw down for myself. And I've had to be incredibly radically honest about my foibles, my mistakes, and the places I fall short. I know that's scary. And they have a lot more to lose than some ex-fucking preacher who wrote a couple books. But if not now, when? You know, I get a question. I'm a Unitarian Universalist by faith. I'm, uh, you know, founded an entire Black Unitarian Universalist church. And also, shout out to Shout Blue. out to Blue. And also, I'm on the um, Unitarian Universalist Association Board of Trustees, which is, you know, kind of the seat of power of the association itself. And I, I get asked so often, like, why do you stay? Why are you in community with this majority white faith that continues to harm people that look like you and people that believe the things you do. And my answer is always the same. And it really is such a a, a parallel to why I stay in the, the fist scene and the jam band scene. It's because if I cannot move these people, if these people cannot be moved to action, then there's no hope at all. We're done. We're done. There is no revolution. The revolution that you like, you know, when you ate that first hit of like acid and like someone played the volunteers of America for you. Let's say like theoretically I do. Right. That doesn't have a shot. That vision of tomorrow that you've been fighting for of every fucking inch of your being that doesn't have a shot if the people in this scene can't be moved. And it doesn't mean you have to agree with me, but you have to at some point you have to say, damn, human suffering is pretty fucking terrible. And if I believe in the things the scene says it does, just like if Unitarian Universalists believe in the things that they say they do, then we are called to do more. Absolutely. I'm, I'm sorry. Every time the wheel turns around, you're bound to cover a little bit more ground. Like, why won't you try a little bit fucking harder out there? The bands are shouting it at us, I think, sometimes. And other times they're more silent. But some of our listeners, they may not be artists, they may not be organizers, they may just be like fucking people who just like to go to shows and they're like, fuck man, I was just listening to this podcast to try and be a little bit more progressive and you really fucked my day up. What can they do? My answer has been the same since I started doing this work so many years ago, which is like, figure out where you hold power, 
and where you have access to those who have power and use that shit to create change wherever you are. Your music, your art, your job, your school board, your HOA, your local bar, your community pool. The work is there for you to pick up if you choose to wake the fuck up and see it. We are called to push whatever piece of the arc of history that is set before us and push it towards justice. So what are you willing to do? What are you willing to give up? How uncomfortable are you willing to be? How uncomfortable are you willing to make other people? Only you can answer these questions. And I want to be clear that black folks are not here to tell you what to do. We are here to make sure you know what our goals are and you got to do your work in accountable relationship with those most affected by the ills of this world. That, that is what you can do. Whoever you are, that is what you can do. And on that note, I'm going to shoot up this brand new thing of Kaepernick vegan ice cream I got. I just been shooting it into my neck and there's blood everywhere. So we have to go. Our production team includes Jocelyn Gonzalez, Pedro Rafael Rosado, Ian Fox, and Jason Saldana from PRX Productions. And we're brought to you with support of the fine folks at Ben and Jerry's. You can check us out on socials at Blackberry Fans, that's P-H-A-N-S. You can catch me on Twitter at Leslie Mack. And Lenny, where can folks find you? I am Lenny A. Duncan everywhere. Remember to subscribe and leave us a review in your favorite podcast app. Tell a friend about the show. It really helps us out. We'll holler at you later. I'm Lenny Duncan. I'm Leslie Mack. This is Blackberry Jams. Presented to you by Ben and Jerry's.